RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Okay. All right, well, good uh, after, I guess technically it's afternoon, it's 12.01, so good afternoon. My name is Lucy Slocum, and I'm here with our senior pastor, Jeff Myers, and we're going to talk through his sermon. Yesterday, we started a new sermon series. Let's, um, first of all, just <laughs> the major debate, is it Roots to Roots or Roots to Routes? Like, what do we do with this sermon title? I think you can pronounce it either way, but I, I think <laughs> I've just, I'm going to go Roots to Roots, and I'm sticking with it. Roots to Roots. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been a big conversation around the office we keep laughing about but that yeah I guess you're right if you look it up in the dictionary you can pronounce it either way <laughs> yeah. but I just going with roots to roots because I think if I just want people to go huh roots to roots and then, <laughs> and then kind of you know then they kind of get it so well and it's a real it's a great sermon series I'm actually really excited about I thought yesterday was fantastic it was a super powerful sermon so much good stuff in there I took lots and lots of notes i'm excited for our conversation but i'm actually really excited all through this sermon series um just this idea of what are the creeds because that's not a thing that we talk about a ton what 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 even what is a creed in the first place what are the creeds that we acknowledge in our particular tradition but then they each have such impact when you look back over history and theology and who we are now which i want to talk about that in a little while but i'm really excited i think that this will be a really fascinating look into who we are and who we're being called to be so I'm excited and I thought yesterday was a really great sermon too so I really appreciate your sermon yesterday thanks Lindsay well I'm really excited about it too it's it's a series that I've been wanting to do for a while but I've been kind of hesitant to try to because I don't want it to be too abstract or too like intellectual or heady so it's like how do you make the creeds and confessions breathe them life into them so they feel like relevant and they're exciting because I think they really are um but I just it took me a while to figure out like if I could do it and so now I'm now the rubber's hitting the road we're gonna see if we can pull it off yeah we're committed now we're committed we started (laughs) (laughs) well and I thought I mean to that point I thought your your opening analogy yesterday with the decoder ring I thought that that was really helpful analogy just kind of you know, how to make sense out of all of this input we get both from scripture and from real life when we're trying to figure out like, where is God in the midst of all of this, that the, the creeds kind of give us a guide for how to kind of decipher some of that. So I thought that was a great analogy and super helpful. And, and it made me think, I don't think they put prizes in cereals anymore, do they? I don't know. Actually, now that you say that. I know. I don't think so either. We don't, 
We don't no, buy we don't cheaper like... cereal at our house. <laughs> we we and don't my either. Gra- and my love, and my beloved grandma is no longer with us. So, <laughs> no, we don't either. So, if anybody knows if they still put prizes in the cereal, and I don't really do the shopping in my house. I don't like go down the cereal <laughs> aisle. So, no, I know we don't do sugar cereal. Okay, I did think it would be really helpful though for us to start because we know that a lot of the congregation. Um, and people who are listening to this did not necessarily grow up in the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA tradition. Plus, I suspect that the majority of the people listening also probably didn't go to a PCUSA seminary where they studied the Book of Confessions. So we have this book in our denomination that has a, a whole host of creeds and confessions in it. Let's just kind of go way back to the beginning and talk about how a creed or a confession even gets into the Book of Order. Um, and becomes part of this thing that in our tradition that we go back and and reference on. I think that that's a really interesting how to, because there's bajillions of creeds and confessions out there, but how do we decide, how do they decide which ones go in this book that we reference in our particular denomination? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so actually, Lindsay, I didn't grow up in a confessional or creedal tradition uh, explicitly, you know, kind of a non-denominational churches that really kind of saw creeds and confessions as too traditionalistic. Um, mm. It uh, not enough spirit, not enough. Um, it's not, it's too like stodgy and stuffy and it's not about your personal relationship with Jesus. Right. And in the eighties and nineties, there was this real emphasis, especially in evangelical culture about your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, a creed and a confession is not so much about me, it's about we. When we asked yesterday about the Nicene Creed, he said, church, what do you believe? We believe. Yeah. Not, not me or I believe, but we as a community. And so these creeds and confessions really come out of that we-ness, that togetherness um, uh, of what we believe together that motivates um, our life, uh, life together. And so... Uh, in the Presbyterian Church USA, we vote, you know, we, we elect our elders, and those elders participate um, at a presbytery level with clergy, and then we elect folks to be our delegates to go every couple of years to General Assembly, which you think of like, you know, you know, the United States was founded by Presbyterians, you know, the Puritans, and, and it's set up, United States is set up on a, a Presbyterian uh, political or polity uh, system representative democracy and so at general assembly they vote and to include certain creeds and confessions and as i mentioned yesterday the most recent one in uh our current book of confessions was the belhar confession which comes out of south africa um and so i think creeds have to speak kind of a new word to the church um Mm -hmm. out of a particular time and place they are seen as historically sturdy that um, they're not just for that local place, but it's what that local place experiences that can speak to the global church, right? And so uh, as the PCUSA, we've included, you know, you have the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, you know, uh, that was written, you know, I think 16th century England, right? But then you have the Heidelberg Catechism in Germany. Um, You have the Scots Confession. You have kind of John Knox in Scotland. Uh, we've got Belhar in Africa. We have, uh, you know, other uh, confessions. We'll, we'll talk about how they're kind of born out of a uh, historical place and context each time. But one of 
things I'm really looking forward to is like when we get to the Westminster Confession of Faith, there's some parts of it that we wouldn't subscribe to anymore. There's parts of it that actually would really offend us and our and our current sensibilities about how we conceive of the church and conceive of the life of faith, um, how we understand predestination. Mm -hmm. Might even get into a little bit of that, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and what, how do we understand God now differently than our forebearers? And just because we disagree doesn't mean that's a, not a part of our tradition, right? right? We can disagree with the tradition. A tradition, I think, is best understood as a conversation across time, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a conversation we've been having with ourselves about the things that matter about our life of faith. And so um, I hope uh, the series is going to contribute to that conversation. I hope I'm going to learn a ton. I hope other people learn a ton. Um, but that's how those creeds and confessions make it into our book of confession. Well, and what's interesting to that point too, Jeff, is um, when you look at all of the creeds, if you lay all the creeds side by side, there are places where the creeds in the book of confessions don't even agree with each other, that they would, that they contradict each other. And so this kind of this idea of um, in conversation, I mean, I think that that's what the creeds are constantly encouraging us to do is to be in conversation because they're obviously throughout time in God's people there have been plenty of times we didn't all line up on that so exactly and I had the privilege responsibility whatever word you want to use I was at General Assembly I was a delegate the year that we voted Belhar into the book of confessions and you know one of the things that's super cool about that process is it we in our denomination we the the community we rely so heavily on the community that there's there were certain steps that that everything went through in order to get to General Assembly to be voted into the Book of Confessions. But even then, it circled back to the Presbyteries and the Presbyteries. So each local group would vote on it as well. I mean, it was a real emphasis on all of us together identifying with this and not just somebody wrote something and we're sticking it in the book for fun. So right. it's a, um, a really powerful process, I think. Absolutely. Now, the Nicene Creed in particular, I did grow up in a, a, a PCUSA church, and we did a, a confession every day, every Sunday, and I remember every once in a while, the pastor would throw in the Nicene Creed instead of the Apostles' Creed, and I was always like, oh, the Nicene Creed, because it's longer, and it would take longer to get through everything, so I so appreciated yesterday when you took this really powerful look at what we're getting out of this, that's really specific to the Nicene Creed and, and the things that we're learning. And, um, and I just thought you made it so powerful. You had several sentences. I mean, you had a million sentences in your sermon yesterday that were so powerful, but there were a couple that just jumped out. So I wanted to just kind of throw these quotes back out and mm -hmm. look at them because I thought they were so powerful. And this first one kind of goes along with a lot of what we're saying, but you were talking about how we are, um, let's see, the way I wrote it down is that we are inheritors of a great tradition that goes before us when you were talking about the creeds and the confessions. Um, so I'd love for us to just talk about that and what it means and what the impact is for us as people who are inheritors of a great tradition that goes before us. Yeah, so... So there's a, okay, let me say this. So I, so I defined tradition as a conversation across time. There was a famous mm -hmm. historian of church history named Yaroslav Pelikan, who taught at Yale for a number of years, wrote a bunch of really influential books. He used to say, he had this, he had this great uh, slogan. He said, um, traditionalism 
is the dead faith of the living. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Oh, that's good. So how, so I think the creeds give us a place at the table for those that have gone before us and they speak to us. Now we have to, now to understand them, we have to a little bit, we have to have some knowledge of history, the historical context, the language that comes to us. And that's why we're always updating our translation of the Bible and the creeds because our language changes, right? Mm. Meaning changes. And so we have to adapt to retain the original meaning for a, a current uh, moment in time. That's why we don't, you know, like if you ever read Canterbury Tales, you're like, what in the world is going on? I don't understand <laughs> this English, right? Right, um, right. You know, that's kind of the same thing. We update the language so we can understand it. So like yesterday, I really, I wanted to get at um, why I thought the Nicene Creed was distinctive, uh, especially apart from the Apostles' Creed, because I'm going to talk about the Apostles' Creed this Sunday. And there's a lot of overlap, right? And I think a lot of people, that they almost said the quick, uh, you know, the quick and the dead rather than uh, you know, in the Nicene Creed, it's the living and the dead. Yes. And, uh, you know, the forgiveness of sins, uh, all these things. So we'll talk more about that in the Apostles' Creed this Sunday, but I really want to get at why I thought the essential question that the Nicene Creed was answering, um, and I think a lot of people probably have asked themselves that question, who is Jesus and why should I care? But, mm -hmm. you know, if you go to church long enough, maybe you forgot to, you forgot the reason, or you get scared to even ask it, right? This, mm -hmm. seems, this seems like a question we shouldn't ask in church. And so I wanted to say, this is, you know, the church has wrestled with this question, uh, going back hundreds and hundreds of years to the founding of it. Um, and so how do we, how can we learn from what those questions that people already asked a long time ago for our current time and place? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's so good. We, um, we used to have a, a, someone on staff that always quoted that um, we, we drink from wells we didn't dig, like yep. <clears throat> we have this benefit of living out this faith because the, all these people who have gone before us and just a lot of what you're talking about doing this work of of thinking that through and well let me let me just say a couple things that i didn't say yesterday that i thought i almost in there was a version of the sermon that was going to go down a very different road but mm -hmm. when we talk about two natures christology both god is fully human and fully divine i'm sorry that Jesus is fully uh, human and fully divine. Right. It's, and we talk about, I talk about two natures, Christology, right? Uh, you have the divine nature and the human nature. Well, it's called the communication of attributes. And how is, how does Jesus experience his humanity? And what does he give up of the divinity to become fully human? So, and I would say, you know, things like the great omnis, omniscience, omnipresence, um, omnipotent. Right? Does G did Jesus know everything about the future, or did he give that up in becoming human? Um, did he give up uh, being omnipresent? Well, he seemed to be pretty localized in a human body. Um, and then when he's resurrected, how does that change? Um, yeah. Does he take mm -hmm. uh, some of those back on in his resurrected self? And so that's um, those are questions that theologians really argue about, and there's differences between what Presbyterians or Reformed folks think, what Lutherans think, Episcopalian, Roman Catholic, right. Eastern Orthodox. Um, and so those are really, that's, you know, and I think a lot of people probably might find that a snooze fest. So we didn't really go down that road. But I think um, there's a lot of interesting 
questions yeah. that are asked. And I think it's like, yeah, did Jesus, did God in becoming flat and taking on human flesh, did he really give up omniscience, omnipotence in some way, um, omnipresence um, to be fully experienced uh, our humanity, which I find great, a great comfort in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you spent a lot of time yesterday talking about what it meant, why it was important in this kind of the, the dual natures, right? And this idea of being fully human and fully divine. And I, I really, I loved the way you were wrestling with that and why it's necessary. And then, so this is one of the other things that you said, and I actually think that you were quoting somebody else when you said this, maybe it was when, maybe you were quoting Athanasius. So tell me if I miss, I'm miscrediting okay. that, but um, you said, one of the, this is part of the reason it was so important for Jesus to be fully human um, and fully divine. That which Jesus has not assumed, he has not healed. Was that Athanasius? No, that was Gregory of Nazianzus, but That's... you can be you can be forgiven for me. <laughs> Gregory was kind of inserted, right? Um, because that's actually I I I think in the past have misattributed that quote to Athanasius because it's very Athanasius in uh, mm -hmm. in his book on the incarnation, but it's Gregory of Nazianzus. But it's interesting there that you see that like from that reading, it's almost that our salvation comes in the incarnation. You know, I mm. tend to be very Lutheran, like follow Luther and so Paul uh, emphasizes Christ's death on the cross, the sacrifice, right? But in Athanasius and Gregory of Nazianzus, it's almost like the incarnation, God taking on flesh, it almost has salvific impact uh, and, and redemption for, uh, for humanity in the incarnation, which is, which is really interesting. I think um, doesn't get enough emphasis that what transformation happens in the human experience um, and the redemption just by God becoming human in Jesus. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I, I also was thinking just even on a personal level, this concept of that which Jesus has not assumed that he has not healed. So thinking that kind of very personally for Lindsay Slocum, like the things that and you you dealt with this yesterday too, but the, the things that, that I individually would struggle with or the places where I would need healing, like that's part of the end of, like that's why it's so powerful for me personally, mm -hmm. right? That, that Jesus has, was fully human, that he has, he's felt these things, he's struggled with these things, he's wrestled with all of these things. And, um, and that's, so it, the healing. So I didn't even, as you're talking, I was like, wow, that really has kind of that, that community, um, family of faith implications especially when you talk about like salvific implications but then at the same time also very personal individual implications as well to know that jesus was fully human in the midst of these things absolutely well and people might be interested um so when we talk, start talking about teenagers christology about fully jesus being fully human fully divine so a lot of problems arose and a lot of further questions came up well how do the two natures relate to each other in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, that mm. council was in 451 called the Council of Chalcedon. And mm. uh, that's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N, Chalcedon, if anybody wants to read. And it deals with how the two natures relate to each other. And that might be something that folks might be interested in checking out as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then this, I actually, 
uh, when you said this, I was so fascinated. I spent a lot of time thinking about this yesterday and I was, this is my favorite question that I wanted to ask you today. Okay, so when you were talking about the creeds and the confessions um, and as, as these communities are kind of working through these issues and thinking about where they've been and what they're doing, that one of the things that the creeds and confessions do for us is it's this, these people who have gone before us, who have wrestled with these things before us that are telling us, don't make our same mistakes. That they're, these creeds are like, don't look, we, may, we messed this up, don't do it. And so I'm just wondering, do you think it works? Like, do you, do you think that we hear those messages? Do you think that we are learning from that? Do you think, because I, I will tell you, I think that we're still getting sucked into some of the same mistakes and the church still has lots of, obviously a long way to go. But anyway, I just wonder, do you think we hear that? Do you think it works <laughs> or lack of better words? Yeah. So, I mean, so, well, let me, I, you know, the church is full of fallible, frail human beings that are going to screw up constantly. They're full of sinners. Okay. So yes, we're going to continue to make the same mistakes, but hopefully, uh, or uh, but hopefully we make them in new ways and hopefully we don't make some of the same ones. So for instance, um, uh, in South Africa. Okay. So that was colonized by the Dutch. Okay. So okay. Dutch reformed Christianity played a huge role in how the society was organized. Okay. Apartheid. And there's an argument to be made that apartheid was a direct descendant of a theological, um, a kind of teaching called, uh, uh, subsidiarity in uh, Catholic social teaching or sphere sovereignty in reform thinking. And sphere sovereignty is a teaching, and you'll still see this out of some um, reform circles, that certain spheres in human life and in creation shouldn't interfere on other spheres. So like the family's a sphere and the government's a sphere and religion's a sphere. And so there's all these theories about what spheres there are, and they shouldn't, um, they shouldn't overlap. They shouldn't in, um, intrude on one another. Well, as you can see, that it was in like 19th century. Okay, gets into um, you know South Africa through the Dutch social teaching. Well, then that was taken and used to justify apartheid. That black South Africans and white South Africans were different spheres, and so that they shouldn't in, intrude upon one another. Well, I would say that that's an unhelpful and unjust uh, social teaching right? And so hopefully we won't go down that road and make that same mistake um, and make that theological error. I think Karl Barth in the, um, you know, World War II talks, and we'll talk about this when we read the Barman Declaration, about who, who teaches us about God? Who should we listen to? Where do we find um, uh, information about who God is? Okay. Barth, we'll see, says, in Jesus Christ as witnessed to in Holy Scripture not from the government, not from the supreme leader. Uh, he's thinking Hitler, but he never, na uh, he never names Hitler by name because he wants, he knows other leaders are going to come along. Other despots will come along. Other dictators will come along and say, oh, I've got a divine right to this power or to mm -hmm. oppress people or whatever it might be. And so I, hopefully we'll learn from that. But I think, you know, who's to say human beings, we are often foolish creatures who, um, you know, make the same mistake, unfortunately. I, that's, my, my theme is I, I want to make mistakes. I just want to make new ones. <laughs> well, I think I'm enough of a Calvinist, though, that, you know, we've just got this inherent uh, 
disposition to sin, I think, and we're constantly pushing it back. I, I mean, we, all through scripture, but I think we see it in the book of Confessions too, this kind of, the, the narrative arc is God continually calling God's people back because they're constantly stepping out. And in spite of the fact that the God is teaching these lessons over and over again, and I am what you need, and I, I will give you what you need, and I will provide. And, um, and then the people of God are continually like, well, I mean, let me push on that a little bit. And, and so I think, you know, we see that through scripture, but I think the book of confessions echoes that very much as people are constantly trying to figure out how to be faithful, but golly zips, we're just, like I said, I'm enough Calvinist. I think we're just <laughs> predisposed to our, our own selfish wants and desires. And so there's just this an ongoing battle. And I think that the, the confessions are a helpful reminder of the community constantly um, God at work in the community in spite of the fact that we're going to constantly be stressed, struggling with that issue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, it's so good. The sermon was so good yesterday. Is there anything that you uh, wanted to say or include in your sermon and then you didn't have time to that we should bring up now? Well, I probably shouldn't give it away because, you know, I'll probably use it. <laughs> we got we have eight more uh, creeds and confessions to go. True. So, and one of the things I'm going to try to do is show, and I'm not really for sure how I'm going to figure out how to do this, but I want to show how there's an in internal conversation between the creeds. So what you're going to see is like Bart in Barman, when he writes it, and with Bonhoeffer and some of these guys, he, he uses some of the same language that's in the Heidelberg Catechism. Mm -hmm. In his, he, he draws from the past, but then kind of reshapes it for his current moment. And what I hope that can help us do is say, how do we get to know our past and then put it together in such a way that it applies to our current moment, to the current questions we have to help uh, us live a faithful life in response to the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's, I'm looking forward to that. And, I'm, and so we'll do a little bit of that maybe uh, this Sunday with the Apostles' Creed. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward I, all the creeds are just so interesting to me and yeah. it's and part of my trick is like okay how do you say the one thing it's like it's very easy to be complicated it's very difficult to be simple and clear yes and, yes and so how do you i just want to be really careful that i'm not trying to say too much or like intellectualize it but i want it to say the right thing for our congregation in that moment so that people go oh that's really mm -hmm. cool, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and that maybe, you know, some folks will start engaging the creeds, read them devotionally. Um, you know, one of the things I'll talk about, maybe probably this Sunday, I'll, I'm going to bring a book of confessions. And unfortunately, we put it in like the blandest, like cover ever, you know, and it's like, it's like, that looks like the most boring book ever. But if you get in there and start reading it, it's just yeah. great content yeah it's you know presbyterians we don't do visual art so well so i encourage people to go on the first floor of uh of the church and we just we have some great artwork that's been done uh um on these themes of the confession so i encourage people to go check that out yeah it's gorgeous it's gorgeous down there okay good so next sunday we're going to do the apostles creed um which i'm i'm excited about because that one i think is the one that people feel the most familiar with and so that'll be a good time to engage in that on a new level as well.
Yeah, thanks for all of this, Jeff, and for your faithful word yesterday. And we'll uh, look forward to learning about the Apostles' Creed this coming Sunday. Thanks, Lindsay. And I look forward to it. And thanks for the conversation. And uh, yeah, we'll get back after this Sunday. Okay. All right. Well, everybody have a good afternoon. All right. Thanks, y'all. See you soon. Bye.